Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I'm going to ask, I, I thought yesterday to ask you this question, and I already know the answer. I think I know how you're going to respond, uh, but I'm going to ask anyway. How many of you, within the last 30 or 40 minutes, checked your phone to make sure that it was the, the, the silence switch was on or do not disturb was on, maybe, maybe in the parking lot or walking in? Like, how many? Let's, let's just see. Like, almost everybody, right? Or maybe when the first song was starting, like I did. And, and if you didn't, you, you raised your hand anyway, didn't you? Because you, you don't want to be that guy. Uh, you're, you're reaching for your phone. Um, so I, uh, you know, years ago in meetings, my phone would chime, chime, and, you know, I'd get multiple calls in meetings. And so pretty quickly, I learned that I need to, I need to silence my phone going into meetings. And it became so common that I would do that going into a meeting without even realizing I was doing it. It was just habit, and just like a lot of you, I'm sure. And I've told people for years, friends, that I'm, I'm a kind of a tech nerd. I, you know, I, I like gadgets, and I, I'm excited for the, the new iPhone update when it comes out. And somehow, I missed, I just, I, I didn't know. No one ever talked about this in front of me. I never read this. In an article that you can, there is a feature, uh, I, I learned this about six months ago, that there's a feature where you can silence everybody, you can put everybody on do not disturb except for your wife. And this, this realization, boy, I wish I had known this years ago. That switch on my phone, I'm going to make sure I'm on do not disturb, um, that has gotten me in so much trouble. I mean, it has caused me so much stress. That switch, that do, and you see how I'm, I'm blaming the phone, the feature on the phone? All right, so here's, here's how the scenario would, would kind of go. Something like this. I'd come home from a work meeting or, you know, I get off uh, work, I get home in the evening, and my, my youngest daughter, Reagan, would say, hey, Dad, where are the hamburger buns? Or, or where's the prescription, or, or whatever I was supposed to stop and pick up. And I would say, what hamburger, what, what prescription? And she would say, oh, no, mom was supposed to call you today to ask you to stop. And I would say, this, I, would, I would kick into, why didn't she call me? And so I would go find Amy, my wife, and say, babe, we need hamburger buns. You were supposed to call me. And that look on her face that I've seen, I mean, when I say hundreds of times, I think it's been hundreds of times. She, she just, that, that sort of grin and like, I, I called you twice. Like at 1 o'clock and then at 2.30 and I checked my phone and it's still on do not disturb and she called me twice. And then how ridiculous, I'm, I'm actually challenging her. Like, why didn't you call me? And she's like, I called you. And then, you know, another example would be like um, my oldest daughter, Mackenzie. You know, I'd get home from work, she'd say, uh, hey, Dad, where's Reagan, her, her sister? And I'd say, I don't know. <laughs> she's, she stayed after school, or she's, she's at work. And she'd say, oh, no, Mama's supposed to call you. You were supposed to pick up Reagan for Talk about These are the real stressful um, examples. So I would go, you know, you'd think I would learn. It's like something was wrong with me. Like, I'd go to Amy. 
hey, Reagan's still at work? You were supposed to call me. She said, I called you three times. And I checked my phone. My phone's still silenced. And I'm like, oh. All right, so today, I want to I talk to you about the voice of God and a cultural problem that I am convinced we have today. I've been pastoring for more than 20 years. Uh, my journey with God extends back further than that. In my own experience, in developing my relationship with God, learning to know him, and in sitting with many, many, many people, trying to help them process faith, what it is to know God, what it is to experience him, I am convinced that we are in a culture today where many people believe God really can't be experienced. He can't be understood, clearly understood. Where God isn't speaking. If he does speak, it's rare. It's rare that he speaks, if at all. And the sense is that, that he doesn't speak to me. And it would be one thing if I was talking about culture outside the walls of our church, outside of churches, outside of our faith. I'm talking about many, I debate it whether to say the word most. I don't know if it's many or most who consider themselves believers. They, they consider themselves followers of Jesus. They believe the words of scripture. They fill churches most Sundays. Many, dare I say most, do not believe they can actually experience God, the activity of God, the regular activity of God, or understand who he is, or experience his voice. The sense or the sentiment often is, well, if God speaks, and I, I believe he does speak to pastors, and there's, there's people in our church, and maybe you're thinking of someone right now, that I, I believe God speaks to her. I believe God speaks to him. He just doesn't speak to me. This is such a common, commonly held thought among people who sit in these seats in our churches, all over our country, all around the world. And I believe one of the great problems that we have in experiencing God, in understanding who he is, in seeing the activity of God, the remarkable works and activity and move of God in our world and in our lives is that we don't actually believe he speaks to us. And I think, I think coupled with that, really kind of overlaid with that, is the problem that we have a lot of competing voices in our lives. I mean, that goes without saying. Just the constant, constant verbiage at work and just trying to like the people that live in your house and get along and trying to understand what they're saying. And then we've got political opinions in our world today. And how many people wake up and the first thing they consume, maybe even before getting out of bed, is what the Democrats or the Republicans did or said overnight, what the other side is doing wrong. And we, we think for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning... We can fill our hearts and our souls with the voice of God and then go into the rest of our regular week and just consume, consume 
the news and the events of our world and the pessimism and the pessimist at our workplace, maybe he or she really has your ear. Maybe they're the primary voice in your life. We have competing voices that have led us to this deeply held conviction. You wouldn't say this. You wouldn't raise your hand and say, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't believe God speaks. I mean, you're here this morning on a cold winter morning. You're here. You're invested to some degree. You're either seeking the reality of God or you're here to worship him. So you probably wouldn't say to me, yeah, I just don't believe God speaks to me. But I'm pretty convinced this is what a lot of people who say they follow the words of God, they they follow scripture, they follow the teachings of Jesus, actually believe. And he created you to know you and for you to know him. For you to know him. For you to know what matters to him, what he's doing in our world. The remarkable that he wants to unfold in your life. He cares deeply about this. This is the primary activity of God. He's not out on the other side of the universe doing something more important. The primary heart of our God is for you to know the remarkable that is him. His plan for you. His life in you. His life coming out of you to others. And so I want to talk for just a few minutes today about God's voice. And encountering God's voice, experiencing his voice, hearing him so much so that it affects your own voice. That your voice actually changes because you're connected to and hearing the voice of God. You, your voice actually begins speaking less pessimism. You are becoming less defensive. You're actually becoming more of an encourager. You're speaking life. There's actually discernment happening in you for a friend who's hurting. There's wisdom coming out of you. You are actually speaking the heart and love of God in our world and to the people around you because, not because you're faithfully attending church, not because you've listened to a lot of messages on Sunday mornings, but because you are experiencing the voice of God. And so I want to read a story to you this morning about having the heart, having the mind to chase after the voice of God. And here's the setup. In ancient Israel, ancient Israel was God's chosen people. It's interesting how many people think Israel was chosen by God and everyone else was excluded. They were the enemies of God. God had this one favorite, like God was playing favoritism. That's never how God works. God's pattern is he chooses the one in order, and the Old Testament word is bless, to bless the many. This was God's calling to Abraham, his calling to Israel, and eventually Jesus would be the one that would fulfill the call of Israel. He would be the blessing to the many. And so Israel, ancient Israel, was called by God to be God's, the word blessing means the vitality, the creative nature, the life of God. They would be the voice of God's blessing to all humans. This was the calling of Israel. That they would speak the heart and life. They would be the voice of God to the world. And they forfeit this. 
They choose their own blessing. They choose their own pleasures, their own agenda. They choose their own selfish control, and they disconnect themselves. They cut themselves off from God, from the activity of God. Okay, that's, that's the context here. For where we read, we pick up in the story of Samuel. Now, Samuel would become this legendary voice of God to the people in Israel. Okay, this great prophet and the influence he would have in young David's life. I mean, this is who Samuel would become. But we're starting with Samuel as a young boy. Okay, this is in 1 Samuel 3. The boy Samuel served before the Lord under Eli. Eli was the high priest. So there's this structure. You guys just recently looked at this. When Pastor William uh, led you through the, the, the series on Exodus... God so desperately wanted his presence to be among humans, even after we chose selfishly and we broke creation, he devised this temporary place called the temple where his presence would exist, where people could be near God again. God's presence could be with humans again. And before Israel would go into the promised land and build the permanent temple. They had the temporary temple, the movable, the the sort of portable temple called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is now in Shiloh, and Eli is the priest. He's the high priest. So he's serving in what was called the house of God. It's really the place of God's presence. Okay, so young Samuel served before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he runs to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So... Samuel went back and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me, my son. I did not call. (laughs) Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Interesting connection there. Knowing God uh, is dependent on knowing the voice of God. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He didn't know the words of God yet. A third time the Lord called Samuel. Samuel gets up, goes to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And Eli realizes it's the Lord who's calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood there. Calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And I am telling you, this this is the kind of life I want to live. The idea that titles and positions 
and exciting retirement plans could be our primary goal in life, when we have this, we have this possibility that God would come to you and me and say, Brad, there's something I want you to be a part of. I want to tell you my plans. I want to show you what I'm doing in the world today. And I want you to not just see it and not just hear about it. I want you to be part of it. I I, I just can't think of anything more exciting. I mean, God cares about our retirement plans. He does. He cares about our vacations and, and the homes we live in. He does. But there is nothing that competes to having access to the heart and plans and activity, the remarkable creative nature of our God at work in the world today, and that you and I get to be privy to it. We have the opportunity to be part of it. So I'm going to just talk about the story, just just a a few specifics here. If we go back, the boy Samuel in verse 1. Served before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Isn't that interesting? Israel had cut themselves off from God. They had chosen their own voice, their own voices, their own plans. And it essentially silenced God. We see this happen in the garden. We just see it happen. It's, it's the pattern throughout the Old Testament. We see repeatedly when the people of God are in trouble... When the enemy is advancing on them, they humble themselves and they fall to their knees. God, we're so, we want to be centered around you and your plan. And so God shows up and delivers them and sets them on their course again. And sure enough, when life is good again, they want, themsel- they want their own retirement plans. They want their own agendas. It's just the cycle of the Old Testament. And here we have this tragic statement. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. God had quieted his voice, but not because he didn't want to be known. God's voice isn't quiet because he's suddenly grown disinterested in humans. I think that's the, the, the assumption by a lot of people who fill churches who think God doesn't speak. It's like it's just sort of random. God speaks to You know, a few people at church, it seems like they kind of hear him. I think maybe he spoke to me eight or nine years ago. It's just, but but he's been silent. In my days today, the voice of the Lord is rare, we would maybe say. And really, it is because Israel had made it very difficult for themselves to hear God. That's what's going on. That's why God's voice is silent. They had constructed a culture where it was nearly impossible to hear God's voice. And so if God needs to go to a young boy, that's what he's going to do. One night, Eli, the older man, the pre, we know he's old because his eyes have grown weak. That's what he can barely see. That's, that's, that's the description for saying Eli's grown very old. He's lying in his usual place. The lamp of God, the, the lampstand had not burned out. This, this is just telling us what time of night it was. The lamp is, is lit every evening, and by 
you know, late evening to midnight-ish, the lamp has burned out. And so this is telling us that people are still awake, they're in bed, it's bedtime, uh, but not everyone's asleep. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was, and then the Lord called Samuel. And there's, there's a connection here to Samuel being near the presence of God. When you posture yourself, when you position your life in a way where you are attentive to, you're focused on, you care about what matters to God, you care about the things that God is doing, when you are attentive to the presence of God, he's going to speak to you. Now, God in his love is so remarkable that if you're not attentive, if you're not close to the house of God or close to where the activity of God is, he'll still pursue you. Moses comes to mind. Moses was on the far side of the wilderness, we're told, when God approached him and called him. And that tabernacle, that temple was the burning bush where God's presence became known to Moses. God will pursue you in the wilderness, on the far side of the wilderness, and, and speak to you. He'll attempt to speak to you in his love. But there is something, we, we make it easy for ourselves we're limiting the distractions. We're silencing the other voices when we, when we position ourselves close to the activity of God. And that's, that's, this is where Samuel is. The high priest would sleep very close to the Ark of the Covenant, not in what was called the Holy of Holies, but there was essentially a sleeping chamber, very close. And we know that the assistant, the servants, the young servants are, are near. Samuel cared more about the things of God. And when you care about what God is doing, when you care about being close to him, Samuel doesn't even really know God because he hasn't heard his voice yet, and yet he believes God is doing something in my world, and this is where his presence is, and so I'm going to be close, as close as I can be. And I'm going to be available to whatever God may want to do. That's, that's the posture of Samuel. When you care about what matters to God, when you say, God, I don't know your voice. There's some days I, I, I waver to even believe that you're there. But today, I'm telling you, I want to hear you. I want to see what you're doing. If you care about this planet, you care about rescuing humans, I want to see it. I want to be part of it. That is posturing yourself, positioning yourself toward the house of God, the activity of God, the presence of God. When you care about what matters to him, when you direct your focus toward what could God be doing today? What is God's opinion about our country's division? I know what my neighbor thinks. I know what everybody at work thinks. They know what I think politically. What, what is God's thought? God, what, what is your plan? Are you at work in my community? Thinking this way and saying these things to God, you don't even have to have the answer. God sees someone who's repositioned their heart and mind to be able to hear. This is who God speaks to. Then the Lord called Samuel. And this is this, this back and forth. I, I, I used to see this, read this almost as silly. Like, Really? We're going to go through this exercise. We, we understand. God calls Samuel. Samuel, you know, there's nobody else 
in the tabernacle. It must be Eli. Runs to Eli. Eli's like, what? Go back to bed. And then it happens a second time, then a third time. Then Eli realized, I'm in verse 8, that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli tells Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to lay down in his place. This can almost read comical. I think um, even, even when I started outlining this message, uh, about, a, about a month ago, uh, it was before Christmas, maybe six weeks ago, as many times as I've read it, I'm, I'm reading through it again for the first time in a while, and I'm sort of picturing an SNL sketch. Like, this is, this is just, like, sort of silly. Here he goes, Eli, he goes back to lazy. God calls again, this whole routine. But the sacred, the, the profound in this scene, the power in this scene is how relentless God is. We think God's gone silent. God doesn't speak to me. He doesn't speak to people like me. Maybe it's something in your path. Maybe it's lingering guilt that tells you God doesn't speak to you. Or maybe it's a lack of, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm intimidated. I don't know enough about God for him to speak to me. Or he saw that thing 10 years ago. Or he saw that thing six months ago in my life. Or there's all kinds of voices that we come up with to explain why God's voice doesn't speak to us. When actually he's relentless. Samuel doesn't recognize God's voice and God doesn't stop. It's just beautiful. Suddenly the story goes from silly to Wow, is this my God? He never gives up. I didn't recognize or I ignored. I think it's something else. I think it's something frivolous or I think it's something important. I think it's Eli. God says, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to speak against Samuel. I'm calling you. We also see here that it takes time to learn the voice of God. It, it just takes time. You're not going to get it right. The first time or the second time, I love this story, or the third time. It was the fourth time. And Samuel needed coaching. He didn't even realize this. It wasn't like, you know what, I think God's speaking to me. Eli had to tell him this, and that's okay. What's important is that Samuel's pace of life, he still, there's something about lying down at night. There's not a lot of noise. He's close to the presence of God. He's thinking about the activity of God, being available to serve. His life is postured in a way where God sees, this is someone I can speak to. And if God can't get the attention of the older men, if God can't get the attention of the arrogant leaders, he'll speak to children. That's how badly he wants to know us. And he wants to be active in our world. And he wants to call us to be part of what he's doing. Have you ever thought that God's voice to you repeatedly may be, I mean, it can be all kinds of directives or invitations or reminders. Somebody comes to mind. Somebody who's hurting, you remember 
oh man, they're, they're, they're separated. They're going through, they're, this guy at work, he's having a, and, and you think to text them, and you don't get a text reply. And they come to mind again, second time. Are you one that will text back again or call? Hey, just checking on you, thinking about you today. Or are you one that kind of gives up after the first time? That didn't make sense. Well, he didn't reply. Or a neighbor who's been hurting for some reason, and they just they, they come to mind. And you reach out, you go to their door. Like, oh, this is kind of strange. I've never gone to their house. Ring the doorbell, knock, nobody answers. Do you stop? Are you one that gets up again after being in bed? Somebody's calling me. Something's happening. Somebody's trying to get my attention. Or do you just stay in bed the second time? Or do you just drive past the house the second time? Or do you think about texting them and you... God's heart, his plan, his activity is looking for people who say, I'll, I'll, I'll try again. Or this, this is kind of bugging me. There's something about them in my... I, I, I want to reach out again. I know I've called twice. I'm, I'm just going to call and say, hey, thinking about you again, not trying to bug you. There's so many ways God could be calling you or speaking to you. And I think we tend to be, we tend to be people who, well, I got out of bed once. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. I'm not going to get out of bed again. He's looking for the person who says, here I am. That's another takeaway for me in this. Isn't it interesting that Samuel's response is not, you know, in, in, in modern English, uh, the way I think I want to say it is, what? Can you imagine Samuel hearing his voice? Samuel. And he just lays in bed and yells, what? I mean, it seems ridiculous knowing the story, and yet aren't we people who do that? Are you possibly somebody who says with the posture of your life or the attitude of your life back to God, maybe you're not even sure it's him speaking to you, just what? I'm busy. I'm, I'm already in bed. Don't you see the deadline I'm facing at work? I've got some mess at home in my family, relationships. I've got to clean up before I can really prioritize God. Don't we do that a lot? We're good at that, aren't we? Samuel doesn't respond that way. I love this. Every single time he says, here I am. He gets out of bed, goes to Eli. Here I am. I didn't call you. Goes back, gets in bed, here I am. And then Samuel tells him, when the, if it happens a fourth time, say, Lord, your servant is listening. And that's what Samuel says. Remember in the beginning of the story, in verse 1, in those days the word of the Lord was rare. I think a lot of us accept that as the context of our lives. God speaks to Pastor William. Thank God he speaks to Pastor William. He, he doesn't speak to me. Stuff I've done, mistakes I've made, I don't know enough. Some days I have doubt. I think God won't speak to me because I, I question him sometimes. When actually God is relentlessly trying to get our attention about what he is doing to fix our planet. It is not going to be, and I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe upset a few people here. <laughs> it's not going to be the Republicans. It is not going to be the Republicans, and it's not going to be the Democrats. 
They can fix policy issues. We need to vote. We need to care about our country. There are wise bills that need to be written. There's smart decisions for our country. But no politician, no political party is going to solve the problem of the human heart. It's just not going to happen. And we live our lives, we give our ears to voices as if finally in four years it's going to happen. Finally the right human being. Finally the right party. And you know, even as I'm saying this, it just sounds ridiculous. Why do we give ourselves to those kinds of voices? The God who wants to speak and who will relentlessly never tire of calling your name, whether you recognize him or not, he's going to continue calling your name. I want you to be part of what I'm doing. I want you to be part of my voice in the lives of others. I am convinced, I'm convinced he's calling you. And he'll never stop. I had a friend uh, years ago uh, give me airline vouchers. He worked for United Airlines. And I'm one, and my, my wife Amy and I, we've debated this for years. I like getting to the gate just as the plane is boarding. And that's it, a dangerous way to live. Um, I just, I, my travel days, I try to shorten my travel day. And so that's one way to shave off a little bit. You know, you just get to the airport um, just in time, and I walk, and I, I feel this sense of sort of pride, like, oh, the line is already formed, and people are already at perfect timing. You know, and it just stresses Amy out. She just can't stand it. She thinks it's foolish, and it is, as I say it, I realize it's foolish. This friend gave me his, you know, I was flying to California, he gave me his vouchers, and he explained, hey, and if you get there early enough, um, they will call names when there's an upgrade available. If there's an upgrade available, they will call names based on seniority, but you have to be there early. And <clears throat> I fought that. I was like, man, I don't want to go early. I went early to the gate, sat at the gate, like, man, I'm early. This, this is making my day longer. And then over the, the speaker, Brad Russell could you come to the United desk? I came in. They said, we have a first-class seat available as an upgrade because of your... <laughs> I was so glad I went early. I was so glad I put myself in the position to be able to hear that. My friend told me, if you're not early, you'll miss it. They will call your name, and you will miss the upgrade. And I almost didn't go early. It is amazing how close we are to the activity in the remarkable of God working in your life. Mistakes, stuff you try to hide, things you don't ever want anybody to know, including God. We act as if we can hide our past from God. It's, we started that in the garden. God still calls your name. He still relentlessly is calling you to be part of what he's doing in this world. And so we don't have time this morning to review this. You can read this on your own. John chapter 1, he begins his gospel. The word, the word of God became flesh 
and made his dwelling. God loves you so much, he actually turned his words, his voice, into flesh and blood. And Jesus came to direct you into the redemptive remaking of this planet call of God for you to be part of it. And so my prayer here, as we close, it may sound simple to you. This is going to be a fairly short prayer. It may sound simple, but this, this could be life-changing for you. Say, God, I'm, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running from your voice. I actually want to run to your voice. That's, that's essentially what I'm going to pray. And it's specifically Jesus. That's what we learn. In the New Testament, we learn the voice of God is Jesus. Our prayer today, it's simple. God, I choose today to, to stop trying to hide, to stop reacting to you in anger, to stop putting you off until I can get my life together. I've been running from your voice, and today I choose to run to your voice, to put my, my, my life in position to hear your sweet call. I want to be part of your voice that makes the ears of people in our world tingle. Just as you called Samuel. And so Jesus, today I say yes to you. I choose to make you the primary voice of my life. <laughs>